You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. This morning, uh, we're going to talk about connection. Okay? Connection is a big part of who we are here at RLA because we believe God is a relational God and that we want to be a relational church. And so part of what we do here at RLA is we try to get to know each other. We try to have close connection, relationship. And we also then want to have close connections with our communities outside because we want to have connections and relationships so that we can share the gospel with them. And so part of what my family has done is we've really tried to go around to the houses around us and meet our neighbors and get to know them. And I will say it's been kind of hit and miss. A lot of our neighbors just don't want to talk to anybody. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, but that's their choice. But um, I, I do have one neighbor. And... I'm actually dreading connection with him. And this is not that I don't know him. I know him very well, or not like very well, but I know him like we, we talk and we're, we're friendly. He's, he's a good guy. And um, it's not that like we're enemies or anything like that. But there's one connection that I know that's going to happen sooner or later in the future that I am absolutely dreading. What, what, what it is is that our houses are on a slope. Okay, we live on a hill. My house is a little below his. And so what ends up happening is that his first floor is actually on the same level as my second floor. And two of our windows can actually see into each other's houses. His window is his dining room. So I can look into his house and I can see when he's sitting down trying to enjoy dinner with his family. Okay? And just, just for context, this, this guy, he's probably like 75. Okay? Not very nice uh, uh, 75-year-old guy. And uh, so, you know, yeah, can we see that? Like, I can see into his window. Can you see that? Okay. Right there. You can see right into his house. Okay. He knows this. I know this. Okay. But his view into my window is my bathroom. <laughs> and I just know that one day I will be getting out of the shower or doing my business, because as you can see, it's right over the toilet. And we are going to make eye contact. And none of us will ever speak of this again. But we will be connected in a new way. <laughs> this closeness, this connection that I am absolutely existentially dreading in my life. Um, we, we are supposed to be connected with other people, hopefully not like that. But we are supposed to be connected to other people. And sometimes connection can be good, and sometimes we're kind of afraid of it sometimes, right? But the Lord wants us to be connected. Again, hopefully not like that. But the Lord wants us to be connected. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We just finished up our maturity series. Okay, Jody finished up our maturity series last week. And actually, as it turns out, that a lot of his ending points were actually the same points that I wanted to preach on. I was already getting prepared. I was like, well, well, there we go. I think that, you know, we didn't plan this. We didn't talk about this, but I think the Lord has it planned. But we finished up our maturity series, and maturity, growing in Christ, is ultimately, it's up to us. We have to make a decision to chase after growing into Christ-likeness. But growing individually most effectively happens when we embrace good kingdom community. Okay? As we learned in the Ephesians passage that we went over a few times, a mature Christian is one who builds up other people. Okay? That is part of who we're supposed to be. We build each other up. So Christian maturity is contingent on Christian fellowship. The word in Greek for church is ekklesia, and that literally means gathering. 
A gathering is an absolutely essential part of the Christian life. Now, at the beginning of COVID, we had to shut down. There was a time for that. We adapted to it. But the ultimate ideal and goal for the church at its best is to be together. But being together is more than just Sunday morning. It's not just a membership. It's not just joining this Christian social club kind of thing. It's more than, you know, Sunday for an hour and a half. Okay? And we're going to explore what that looks like today. And so we're going to explore kind of two main passages. The first one is in Acts, chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. It's a very famous passage about the Acts 2 church, the beginning of uh, the infant church. And so the Apostle Peter has just finished preaching what was basically uh, what was kind of, kind of known as the first sermon. Okay? It, was a, it was complete with a, a good grabber story, three main points, and strong central message, and wonderful PowerPoints with really good transitions. And, no, it didn't have any of that. Um, but it did have an altar call, it was essentially was an altar call, to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the people who were listening to him, for some of them, it said it cut them to the heart. It reached their very souls, like, oh my goodness, I realize just the depth of where I am, the goodness of Christ. And, and they asked him, what should we do? He says, repent and be baptized. And this is what happens next, Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because of the many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and all things in common. They would sell their possessions and, good, and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so verse 42 here says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And so we, when we, hear, we hear the word fellowship, sometimes it gets kind of, you know, watered down to where it's like, oh, it's friendship. Okay? And of course, that is part of it. Okay? Absolutely, we should be friends with each other in, in the life of the church. But the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. Right? And koinonia has a much deeper meaning than just Friendship, or just gathering, just being together. It's more than just you know, Sunday service and being friends. Koinonia carries with it the meanings of intimate spiritual communion, joint participation, and contribution. There is a closeness, a unified, a being unified in love by Jesus' love, united by redemption and forgiveness. We become a people that support and love each other, and we do life together, living to each other and living for each other and growing together. That is this idea of fellowship, of koinonia, that the Bible is trying to get to our brains right now. Okay? It's much deeper than just friendship. It, and this goes against our consumeristic culture, because here we're being asked to contribute. We're being asked to participate. And in our consumeristic culture that is so prevalent in America and so prevalent even in the church these days, where I can just, you know, sit back and receive on a Sunday morning. And don't make me do anything, because if you make me do something, then I can just walk out of the church and go find something else. I, can, I just want to be somewhere where I can, you know, sit back, sip my coffee, enjoy some music, half listen to a sermon, clock in, clock out, check the box, say, okay, God, I gave you my hour, hour and a half on Sunday. Now I'm going to go home and be really passionate about football. That's sometimes what it looks like. Or where I can just church hop, because I need to find something that's just nice and comfortable, because, man, I don't need to be challenged. I've got enough going on as it is. Where I can leave the first second that I get offended where I can leave for a second I disagree with something. 
our consumers, the culture teaches us that it's all about what I can get out of this. So, of course, I want it my way. If I disagree, if I didn't like the worship this week, whatever, I'm out of here. When the kingdom culture teaches something different. That yes, absolutely, there are needs in the church. There are needs that we have that need to be met. We need to be fed, absolutely. But we are taught that we need to contribute as well. What can I do to contribute to this church? What can I do to help solve the problems that I see in this body? No church is absolutely perfect. Absolutely not. Every church still needs to grow. But how can I be a part of that? There's an effort to be put in. Not in salvation. Salvation, of course, is given to us by God. That is his doing. But in working out our salvation, in developing our faith life, in building community, in contributing towards each other and the purpose of the church, we are called to participate. And we get glimpses of this in Acts chapter 2. What do they do? They met in each other's houses. They had to open up and say, you are welcome in my house. I am contributing my space to you. They broke bread together. They ate together. They prayed together. They shared life with glad and generous hearts. They spent time together in the temple. They broke bread together. I know I already said that one, but it says it twice in Acts chapter 2. Food is very important to the early church. And, of course, it's very important to us here at RLA. We love food. But not just food. It's food eating in remembrance of Jesus, right? The breaking of bread. And perhaps the one that really kind of stands out to us is, is the one where it says they have all things in common. And what would happen is if, if anyone in that community had need, people would just go ahead and sell off their stuff and give the money to people who had need. That's, that's pretty intense. That's pretty radical. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to contribute to you. What might cause this incredible transformation, this selflessness, this shifting of paradigm towards the community? I think we know the answer, right? We know the answer. But let's try to look and see what Scripture says. I'm going to jump now to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He has actually been on the outs with Corinthian church. They've had a, a, a rocky relationship over the past few months. And they've just kind of now started to reconcile. And he's writing to them, but in, apparently in his mind, they have enough relationship to where he's going to actually ask them to help and contribute towards the wider body of Christ. And what has happened is that the Jerusalem church is still very poor and is undergoing a famine. And they basically need some cash. They need some money. They need some help. And he's going around to the other churches to take a collection for the Jerusalem church. Now, in order to do this, though, before he asks, he actually kind of shows off and, and brags about another set of churches who have already given to this collection. And this is the Macedonian churches, most likely the Philippian and the Thessalonian churches. And this is what he says. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. Okay, and here, sharing of this ministry is koinonia. Okay, in this case, koinonia is much more a, um, a, con a contributing action. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. And so what Paul is saying is that uh, the Macedonian churches were undergoing themselves a very tough time. And they were also very poor. He says they were undergoing extreme poverty. And honestly, 
they probably would have had any reason to say, you know, Paul, right now it's a little tight this month. I really don't think I can give to the Jerusalem church. I love them, but I don't really think I can do that this month. And probably Paul would have understood that. But instead, they gave. And not with any grumbling or sadness, but Paul says they overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Some according to the means. They say, yep, this is about what I can give this month, and I'll still be okay. And some people said, I'm going to give beyond what my means are. I'm going to give beyond what my budget says. And so Paul barely had to ask them to. It wasn't like, hey, guys, we really need some help for the Jerusalem church. He probably just basically said, like, hey, you know what? They're going through a tough time. And they're like, please let us help. Let us help. We want to be part of what you are doing. We want to be part of contributing towards them. That was their attitude. And some gave, again, more than was necessary. Wow, this is incredible. This is the testimony that Paul has about the Macedonian churches. How did this happen? How do they give so much despite their harrowing circumstances? And if any of you are thinking, oh my gosh, this is a money sermon, it's not. Okay, it's not. Verse 5, Paul says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. And then, through submitting to God's will, they gave to Paul's collection for the Jerusalem church. First, they submitted themselves to the Lord. They concentrated first on their relationship with God. These Macedonian churches were so sold out to God, so captured by the gospel, they were able to overcome their circumstances and still contribute to the wider body of Christ. Koinonia starts with a deep fellowship, a deep koinonia with God. Indeed, before we can have koinonia with each other, we need to have koinonia with Jesus. Paul alludes to this in his first letter to the Corinthians, written a few months prior to our other passage. And he tells them, God is faithful. By him you are called into fellowship, koinonia, of his son. You are called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul is basically telling them, you have that connection. You have that relationship. You have that fellowship with Jesus already. Now, if we read further into Corinthians, we're going to see that the Corinthians, well, they had, maybe had a good relationship with God. They didn't have great relationships with each other. They had not sort of translated that relationship with God into good relationship with each other yet. And that's pretty much what all of 1 Corinthians is about. Paul just kind of correcting them on that. But he at least does say, all right, you're in the right spot. You're at least at the right starting point. And that starting point, of course, is fellowship with Jesus first. Okay? So the Corinthian church was in a bit of a mess relationally with each other. But Paul essentially says, all right, we at least have something to work with. The Macedonian churches already understood this. They already understood that God is the biggest giver of all. That he is the first initiator of fellowship. If koinonia is the fellowship where we are all for each other, contributing towards each other's lives, I mean, you can't out-contribute God, right? God has already given us so much. He already gave the Macedonian church so much. And they knew this. His gift of new life, both here and eternally, is the gift that unifies us, heals us, redeems us. God's focus was us. His sacrificial and life-giving sacrifice was for us. He contributed to us. Jesus makes a way for us to be with him, both here with the Holy Spirit and in the future in heaven. Jesus' actions say, because actions speak louder than words, right? Jesus' actions say, you belong. You belong here with me. You belong. You can be part of my family. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you need to hear that. Because in our divided world right now, 
There are so many voices that scream, you do not belong. Get out of here. Whether it's in politics or cultures, racism, sexism, sometimes even from the church, sometimes even in our own families, we are often made to feel that we do not belong. But Jesus says otherwise. Jesus says, you belong. His love for you is unshakable. Unshakable. He doesn't love you because of your ability. He doesn't love you because of how good you are. He doesn't love you because you're useful to his kingdom. He loves you simply because you are you. He loves you simply because you are you. Because you were created by him. Because you are his son or his daughter. That's you. He tells us his death and resurrection was for you, for us. And in that, that is the invitation to be part of his family. That is for you. That is for me. That is for us. Does he want to deal with stuff in our life? Yes, absolutely. Does he want to heal us? Yes, of course. Does he want to, us to work on, on our sin with him? Yeah, he does. But none of that can stop the utter and sheer power of his love for us. None of that will ever get in the way of his love for us. That gift is the basis of koinonia with each other. That we have this amazing fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And that he says, not just I belong, but you belong. We belong. That is what our community can look like. When we share in that same koinonia that he has with us, we can create that koinonia here. The Macedonian churches understood how amazing God's love was. When they experienced Jesus' goodness and grace, when they had tasted and seen, they could look past the hardship. Because isn't that the most encouraging thing to hear? That you belong. They could look past their hardship, real as it was, and give sacrificially of themselves to people they probably had never met in their life, but were unified in the kingdom because now they all belonged to Jesus' fellowship. They gave themselves to God, and God gave them to the Jerusalem church. When we have that connection with God, we can now be connected even more intimately with each other. And so the challenge Paul was giving then to the Corinthian church was, are you seeing how Jesus inspired the Macedonian churches? I'm telling you, they jumped at the chance to give. They jumped at it. You know how good Jesus is too. What do you got? How can you contribute? Let's see what you got. If your love for Jesus and others is genuine, let's see it. Let's see you love in action. Let's see that koinonia, a fellowship where we contribute to each other. Let's see it become real. Paul is saying, all right, Corinthians, let's see what you got. Because what you got, Jesus can absolutely use in this fellowship. And he can use it in amazing ways. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, 15. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food. He's using an analogy, kind of like a, an agriculture analogy. Jesus gives you um, everything and he's going to make it multiply. Okay? He who gives this will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry... Not only, the supplies, uh, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ. 
by the generosity of your sharing with them, again, sharing with him, your sharing with them, it's koinonia, and all the others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of that God has given to you. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. And so he says, God gives you this little seed, and then he multiplies it. When we are obedient with this little seed, he will multiply it and do amazing things. And he lists all these things. He says, you will be enriched. You are going to grow when you are generous. You are going to grow when you contribute to others. You are going to grow in your joy. You are going to grow in your faith. You are going to grow in your trust. You are going to grow in your compassion. And he says, it will produce thanksgiving to God, right? They're going to be thankful. And what happens when people are thankful? They give praise to God, and probably they're going to give when they can give as well. And then, boom, it goes out even further. What's going to happen? He says, you will supply the needs of the saints. Okay, you are going to, get, you are going to feed them. That's probably pretty important. Keep them alive. That's also good, right? He says, you are also going to glorify God. God is going to get the glory. And that is the purpose of our lives, to give God glory. And it's going to show that the confession of the gospel is true. It is going to confirm for everyone who sees this how powerful Jesus' truth is. Because it's only Jesus who could transform hearts like this. So it is no wonder that Paul says in the end at verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. It's like a box and a box and a box and a box and a box. More, just, it's this overflowing, this cycle, this infinite loop of ever, an ever-flowing river of blessing. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. One little seed of grace can overflow to so many. Can we see how our lives, it's not just me and Jesus. It's us and Jesus. It's the church, the entire bride of Christ, the church universal and Jesus. We grow together. We grow together. We bless each other. We help each other experience God's love in new ways. When we can see our spiritual lives, as not just a solo act, but part of an interconnected circuit of believers in whom Jesus lives. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. That's who we are. That's who we were meant to be. One household, together. Jesus has the cornerstone. A spiritual dwelling place for God. What can he do when we reach that kind of community? Now in our Corinthians passage, the main method of koinonia contribution was financial. Okay? And of course, we as a church are called to be financially generous. There are, we have a homeless crisis here in LA. There are people around the world who are living in abject poverty and we should be investing and being generous in those places. But of course, the kingdom is not just limited to financial generosity. God asks us to contribute to the body of Christ in other ways. Listen to what the apostle Peter tells his readers in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse eight through 11. He says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. 
And so Peter here paints this, another picture of this koinonia-esque kingdom church. Now, to be really honest, he doesn't actually use the word koinonia in this passage. But you can see that a lot of the same principles apply. Christian love and action should flow from one's relationship with God. And this love and action should be done with fervency and without grumbling, he says. And I know, I know without grumbling kind of sounds like kind of like a lot more boring compared to like, yes, joy and fervency. But you get the idea, right? It's supposed to be a positive sign of giving, not just this, oh my gosh, I got to give again. I got to contribute to my, to my neighbor. Yeah, okay, thanks, Jesus, right? Um, there was a time when um, I was young and stupid. Um, I'm now older and stupid. Um, and uh, it was when I was dating Kathy, and we were, uh, we were hanging out in my dorm room in college, and she asked me uh, to go get her purse or something like that. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I said, oh, okay, fine. Gosh, what am I, your slave? God's grace is real, folks, because she didn't break with me, up with me on the spot. That is obviously not the attitude we should have when God asks us to give, right? That is not the kind of attitude we're having. We, we should be like the Macedonian church. Yes, okay, how can I give? How can I help you? How can I serve you? Okay, and this is what Peter is talking about as well. Do it without grumbling. And Peter, of course, is not talking about finances in this place, in, in this time. He's talking about contributing in other ways. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Serving each other. Now, the word serving here is the Greek word diakonuntes, which is where we get the English word deacon. Okay? And our deacons faithfully and lovingly serve our church. And the word deacon, again, has this undertone of self-giving, sacrificial, loving service. The same type of love that Jesus serves us, and the same type of love that we should have for each other. This, Peter says, is being a good steward of God's grace. God gives you grace. He gives you love. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to hoard it for yourself? Are you going to keep it for yourself? No. Give it out. Go and serve each other with it. God wants to inspire us with his love to go and let that love overflow to others. Now today, of course, in our much more established, organized churches, we have different ministries where people can serve in, right? And of course, Peter's call here can apply to serving in those official ministry capacities, right? Whether it's teaching our kids, planting flowers in the garden, pressure washing the outside of the church to beautify it, uh, leading worship, leading a home group, preparing a sermon, welcoming people, guiding people to their seats, admin work, wrestling with technology, cleaning a toilet. Every contribution can be an act of love. Every, every ministry can be an act of love. And I want to be very clear that every ministry is important and that no one in this church is above doing anything. Case in point. Um, you guys all remember when I, I told the story, this is on, I think it was on, on one week when we had to shut down, but I told the story about when I prophesied over Eli, and I, uh, God had said, Eli, you still got it, and then he got COVID for the second time. Um, I was like, man, I've got to work on my gift of prophecy here. Well, it happened again, um, not, with, not with COVID, but what ended up happening is that we were in um, uh, an, an All Saints uh, leadership training meeting, and Jody gave us the, this exercise. And he told us to get in groups, and we were supposed to then make a skit about one other ministry uh, that we were in, or that, that, that was part of the church, and think of like the worst case scenario, the worst thing that could happen in that ministry, and what would we do about it? I got on the facilities team. So did Sam Lamb. And our minds are very alike, because our minds both went to, there's poop and throw up on the floor. 
And so we made a skit about the toilets overflowing, and, and it would be all hilarious about, oh, who's going to clean this up? And Sam actually, like, he pretended to slip on the poop on the floor, and uh, he landed on his back. He actually hurt himself, so thank you for being our stunt man, Sam. Um, and of course, you know, we all laughed at that, like, oh, yeah, that could never happen. <laughs> and then it happened two weeks later. Because two weeks later, before service started, someone, me, flushed the toilet, and the pipes underneath, which are connected to both the men's and women's bathroom, and have a little drain on the floor, as per code, it overflowed. And water came up onto the floor. And also the aftermath came out of the floor of everything else. And it turned out it was probably feminine hygiene products that had been clogging up those pipes. But anyways, um, so... <laughs> anyways, uh, that morning, I did not listen to a sermon, I did not worship, uh, and neither did Steve, neither did Ken, neither did I think Val, probably Adrian, uh, if you also helped with that, I'm really thankful for that help today. I don't know if you guys remember that day, but those bathrooms were not open because we had to clean those floors. Now, I, I will admit, did we do it with joy? Probably not. Did we do it with grumbling? Probably. Um, but we did it with love. We did do it with love, okay, because we love you and we don't want you walking into that. Um, and that was a necessary thing that we had to do. Sometimes we've got to serve in ways that are yucky, in ways that are not so great. But every single thing that we do here, every single ministry, if you are part of a ministry, I want to applaud you. If you're not part of a ministry, I invite you. But every single ministry is important. Nothing is too low for us. It's all part of the household of God. I love what 1 Corinthians says, 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 17. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot were to say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? So whether you see yourself as a hand or a foot or an eye or a nose or a shoulder or whatever, you are part of the body, just as long as you're not a spiritual appendix. Because we don't know what that does. It has no purpose whatsoever, apparently. We're like, what does this even do? All it can do is basically rupture and kill you. Um, so don't be a spiritual appendix, but be any other part of the body that has a purpose. We serve out of love. We serve because it exercises that grace. We serve because we become good stewards of the grace God has given us so that we can love each other. Now, I'm not sure how many official ministries Peter had, right? In the early church, they didn't have this, you know, robust system uh, that we have in the churches, right? Like, if he was on the tech team and he was like, he needs to adjust the volume for the worship team, it'd just be, hey, sing louder. That's, that's basically all they do, right? But Peter encourages his readers to contribute to the body also by, this is 1 Peter 4, 8, loving each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins and be hospitable to one another. Love each other. Be welcoming. Serve each other. This is not an official Sunday morning ministry thing. This is something of the day-to-day, -day, on the ground. It's a relational thing. And I love what he says. Love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. And I think what Peter recognizes is that sin goes beyond this simple, yes, this is right, and no, this is wrong kind of mentality. It's more than just black and white morality. Sin gets in the way of relationship. Sin breaks our relationship. 
It gets in the way of that koinonia. Sin keeps us oftentimes from being able to relate to each other and God. Yes, we are absolutely forgiven by God. Our relationship is secure with God. But when we are stuck in our sin, when we're kind of you know, actively ignoring the Holy Spirit, when we, are, when we are let that guilt and shame that we get when we sin, and we let that kind of drown out our ability to hear God, when we let that shame and guilt become our king rather than King Jesus, that kind of blocks our ability to relate with God. God's always there. He's always knocking on the door, right? But sometimes it's like, oh man, I just don't know where God is. It blocks that relationship with God. And it also keeps us from relating to each other. When it's our pride that causes us to place ourselves above others in judgment. When our inner pain causes us to hurt other people in a perverse way of trying to reach out to them. When our need to be right overwhelms our need to be reconciled. When our loneliness causes us to lust and objectify others. When our cultural stigmas and prejudices cause us to hate and build walls before we get to know people personally. When we say, well, that's just the way I am. When that becomes our mindset, instead of, you know, I recognize how my actions have hurt people. And I need to work on that for the sake of my brother and sister. Sin interrupts, corrupts, and breaks the relationships that God intended for us. We end up pushing people away because of our pain, and because of our selfishness, because of our sin. You guys remember last time when I shared the story of how I blew up at my kids uh, and then yelled at them in a way that they had never seen me yell before. Essentially, when I did that, Ethan became so scared that he jumped into the back seat of our, of our, our van and hid there from me. In his young mind, my actions, okay, I, yes, I had a right to be mad, but in my insecurity and my need for control, I sinned in my anger. And I blew up at him in a way he had never experienced. And so that broke in his mind our relationship for a little while. I am so scared of you. I'm going to run away from you. Broken relationship. Essentially, when I did that, I communicated to him, what you did, I am so upset that I'm basically saying you don't belong with me right now. That's what he felt. That's what can happen when we let our sin break our relationships. And that can happen so often. And so that's why Peter says here, love each other deeply, because that is a way of overcoming sin. Now, obviously, sin is healed and forgiven by Jesus, okay? not by us in the, in the great spiritual realm. Okay? Jesus is the one who forgives us. God is the one who sanctifies us throughout our lives. But we actually get to participate in that sanctification process with each other, with Jesus, when we love each other deeply. If we have this grace, what are we going to do with it? Are we going to keep it to ourselves? If we have this love, are we going to keep it to ourselves? No. We can give it to each other. And we can love each other through those dark times. By loving each other through sin, we are participating alongside God. Loving someone despite their sin shows God's vision of what relationships can look like. Loving someone who has hurt us shows that God's power is greater than that of hate and revenge. Walking with someone when they're going through it encourages them. Forgiving someone mirrors the forgiveness of Christ. When we are able to say, I am wounded deeply by you right now. I may not even like you very much right now, but Christ forgave me. So I am going to strive to forgive you. And I will still love you because our relationship is supposed to be more important than my offense. When we are able to say, I know you are struggling with whatever right now, but I do not judge you for it. Because maybe I've been there myself. And I will be here for you, to pray with you, to help you overcome. 
when we were able to say, I see the destructive pattern that you're in and it ain't good. It's hurting you and it's hurting others. But I love you enough to stick by you and help you through it. Love can give us a safe space to heal and also repent. Christ said, your sin can be cleansed because you belong with me. When we do this for each other, we can help each other understand and experience that same grace. What you've done, maybe it hurts. We got to work on that. Absolutely. Sure. But you still belong. You still belong with me. We're going to work through this. It's going to be tough. But I will still deeply love you. Now, to be clear, loving someone when they're sinning does not mean that they get the excuse of like, all right, cool, I'm forgiven. I can just go sin more, right? It's not to enable them. And like Jody mentioned last week, there may be times to walk away, especially when the relationships are toxic, harmful, and abusive. Yes. But that should not be the first place we go. The first place we should go is to love deeply, show hospitality, welcome, give safety, forgiveness, warmth. It could be sin. It could be someone going through sorrow. It could be loving someone through tragedy. Taking God's love and stewarding it by loving those around us. This is the essence of koinonia. This isn't just, oh, I'll pray for you. Okay? It's not just that. You've got to go a little beyond that. This is on the ground, side by side, listening, being with people, helping people process, praying with people, actually right there, helping people carry their burdens, crying with people, bringing meals to people, declaring victory over things, demon outcasting, I will fight with you in the mud and the trenches kind of deep love. That is the love that Jesus calls us to. Essentially, suffering alongside them as they are suffering. That's tough. That is tough. But that's the love that we can have in Koinonia. And that's the love, I think, that many of us need. I want to take a little break here to highlight a friend of mine. How many of you know Joe Vecchio? Yeah? If you, ha if you haven't gotten a chance to know Joe, Joe is, I know he's embarrassed right now, but Joe is a wonderful friend. Joe absolutely embodies this kind of koinonia because he is one of the most encouraging, friendly, loving, prayerful, soulful people that I know. He has lived out this koinonia. And the reason I bring up Joe is because this week he actually had his final retirement from his work. And I don't know if, yeah. I don't know if you knew this, but Joe has been a pastor uh, for other churches before. And Joe, for the last few years, I don't know how many years, but um, Joe, for many years now, has served with the Church of the Brethren as one of their administrators and has been an incredible help and in contributing member of that body over there. And he has done some amazing work. I've seen him work. I've seen what he does for the conferences. They would be lost without him. He, they, he trained a new person. So hopefully that person can keep up with everything he's trained him with. Um, but Joe, now Joe served in an official capacity, right? He was a pastor. He was an administrator. He was serving in a very official way. But I know without a doubt that even though he's retiring, he is still going to live that out here. We are blessed to have him. We are going to see that. We are always going to see that. So, Joe, we commend you. We know that God loves you, and we love you. Congratulations on your retirement. <laughs> Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother, like Joe, is born 
for adversity. This is who we're supposed to be. God has given his grace to us to bless and contribute to one another. Now, of course, we can contribute all we want, right? We're like, yeah, okay, I'm ready to give. I'm ready to give. But that also means that sometimes you have to receive. Because if you want to give, there has to be someone on the receiving end, right? People love to bless people with meals, right? But if you're always the one paying for someone else's meal, good, cool. But then you have to also accept someone else paying for you and let them be the blessing for once. So, out of leading by example, if anyone would like to treat me to any meals, I will graciously accept that, especially if it's tacos, ramen, or Korean barbecue. Happy to, happy to be that for you. Anyways, um, very often, though, we also need to ask for help. Sometimes we need to put our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs out there. We have to have the humility to sometimes ask for help. Communicating our needs, vocalizing our needs, is part of being a mature person in Christ. A mature person really anywhere, but a mature person in Christ especially is one who is actually able to vocalize their needs in healthy ways. Some of us have not learned to do that. It, was, it took a very long time for me to learn to do that, and some that we are trying to teach our kids. We're having a little bit of a hard time with Addie right now, communicating her needs, because Addie, even though she's five, likes to sometimes communicate in baby talk. And she will go, Jonia, and Yuna, and Buddha. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then she gets upset at me because I don't understand. Like, she wants a bagel, okay? And, okay? Or sometimes she can vocalize what she needs, but in a very unhealthy way. When she wakes up in the morning, every morning, Addie is like some of you guys before your coffee. She doesn't drink coffee. Can you imagine her on coffee? Uh, Addie, though, needs, when she wakes up, she needs a glass of warm milk, and she wants to lie down and hold my arm while she drinks it. And I know that's kind of cute and endearing, but also, like, we kind of get to get her out of that. But every morning, this is how she wakes up. And I'm really sorry for this, but... <sighs> Addie, what do you need? Milky. Milky. <laughs> Addie, can you please just talk to me in plain English? Nah, Milky. That's what she sounds like every morning. I'm like, Addie, please, come on. We just got to get up and ready for school now. Well, that's how she talks sometimes. And I, we're really trying to get her to communicate her needs in much more civil ways. Uh, but sometimes you have to ask. You have to ask for your needs. The Jerusalem church, they flat out asked Paul to help. Galatians 2.10, they said they, uh, the Jerusalem leadership, asked only one thing, that we remember the poor. That we remember the poor. They were like, hey, Paul, we're struggling right now. Can you go ask the other, the other churches for some help? And he says, I was actually very eager to do this. He wanted to do this. But they asked. That had to take some humility. That is tough sometimes. Because we grow up in cultures, like American culture, Hispanic culture, Asian culture, where we're not really supposed to ask for help. We're not supposed to do this, right? It's kind of shameful to people. It's, especially in Asian American culture where I grew up. It is really shameful to... Like, ask for help and accept help. You're just not supposed to do this. And case in point, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, a lot of uh, families with young kids were given by the, by the government EBT cards, okay? extra EBT cards, um, which is, you know, uh, uh, government money to help with food. And so in the mail, Ethan received two EBT cards. And I'm like, oh, cool, that's, that's interesting. And I go up on the website, check how much on there. There's $1,800 worth of free food. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, thanks, I'll take this, why not? Okay. 
Now, I'm the kind of guy that likes to kind of maximize my credit card rewards, so I only use my, this, my, Ethan's EBT card, um, uh, in places where it's, I get the fewest rewards. So at Target, I use my red cards, that's 5% off. At, at Costco, I use my city card, because that one's 4% in this. You get the idea. But at, at other places, I don't get any particular rewards besides a little 1% cash back. So it's like, okay, I'm gonna use my EBT cards at those particular markets. One market that I use it for is 99 Ranch. Okay? Now, 99 Ranch is a predominantly mostly Asian Chinese market, and it's mostly uh, with Chinese people working there, people of my particular uh, background. And I go up there, and I have my groceries, and uh, they say, okay, how are you gonna pay? And I whip out Ethan's EBT card. And then I get the look, like. <laughs> Why do you have this? Basically what they're saying, right? They don't say that. They're like, Why do you have this? You shouldn't have this. Oh yeah, fine, here's your free bag that you get with your EBT card. Yeah, go, get out of here. It's like, dang, okay, sorry. Like, but sometimes we get this shame for asking for help or receiving help. But that's not the way it needs to be in the kingdom. Okay? I don't know how you feel about, about bailouts and, and, and forgiveness of student loans. I'm fine with it. Whatever. But you may have a different opinion. Okay? But honestly, in the kingdom, we got a pretty big bailout from Jesus. We did. Because none of us could have saved ourselves. We couldn't do it. We have to have humility and ask Jesus, yeah, I need that grace. I need that salvation. Only you can give it. Sometimes we have to put aside our pride and ask for help and put our needs out there. We have to do that. So, out of leading by example again, in ministries, we could use some more help. If you're not serving in ministry, we could use your help. Okay, I'm leading by example, asking for help. Okay. But also, in our own spiritual lives, of course, again, we have to ask for help. Love covers a multitude of sins, but will we let it be covered? Part of being mature is vocalizing our needs and asking for help when we need it. We need to have friends in this church that we can go to to ask for help, to ask for prayer. We need that. The three, uh, the, uh, the three other elders in this church are some of my best friends. And we have an elder's text thread together. And if you were to look at it, you would see immature memes and jokes and random insults. Because um, we're guys and we do that. But you would also see, guys, I need prayer today. Guys, I am going through it today. I am pissed off today. I am sad today. I am struggling today. I need your prayers. I need perspective. I need conversation. I need your friendship. That's also what is in there. And that's probably much more important than anything else in there, right? But that's the kind of friendships we can have. That's the kind of relationships we can have. Now, of course, it doesn't mean that you go and broadcast, you know, everything out to everybody. Don't just stand up right now and say, like, hey, everyone, you know, don't do that, okay? Don't air your dirty laundry to everybody right now, okay? Use discernment, use wisdom, but find some people in this church that you can trust. And it doesn't have to be leaders, folks. It doesn't have to be the official leaders, okay? We can all do this. We are the priesthood of all believers. We can do this for each other. God wants to give you freedom and forgiveness and redemption. And many times he wants to facilitate that through the body of Christ, through other people, through us loving each other and being welcoming to each other and demonstrating actions that say, you belong, you belong with us. And I know many of us have experienced the opposite, maybe even from 
from Christians, maybe from someone in this very room, and it's hard to trust again. I understand that. I get it. That is very real. And I'm sorry that happened to you. I am. Because that's not the way it was supposed to be. But we see that God's love, his powerful love, unified churches that were divided by cultural and by, and by culture by, and by region. We see God's koinonia overnight create a mega church. I'm sure some out of those initial 3,000 persons that were added, at least two of them had beef with each other. And that suddenly they were called to be together and found reconciliation through Jesus. Someone can make the choice to reach out, to let their action, it could be you, to be the one to channel God's love, to be the one to forgive, to be the one to apologize, to be the one to start reconciliation, to be the one to ask for help, to be the one to reach out, to be the one to show hospitality, to be the one to serve. God can use that action, infused with and empowered by his grace and love, and multiply it and do amazing things. You can be the one to say, yes, I will do that. I will take God's grace and be a good steward of it and watch it domino and inspire more kingdom yeses. When our fellowship with Christ becomes real, when we are good stewards of his grace, when we become conduits of God's grace, when we take our fellowship with God and turn that loving connection into active, contributing, relational, redeeming, encouraging, forgiving koinonia with others, imagine the possibility. The Acts 2 church saw people with ate with glad and generous hearts. As sins were forgiven, their lives were transformed, and they saw people added to the number day by day. And the generosity of the Macedonian church became famous and brought glory to God. And when RLA responded to the call to serve in more ministries, Brett stopped having panic attacks about scheduling issues. Um, but seriously, can we imagine the unity, the healing, the freedom, the restored relationships, the encouragement, the improved mental health, the weights lifted from souls, the deep friendships, and then subsequently, the blossoming gratitude, the heartfelt worship, the fervent prayers, the impassioned praising of the Lord. Can we imagine also how we can take that same love and give it to our community who so desperately need an authentic, loving church? That's who we're called to be, friends. The fellowship of the church, as Koinonia, asks us to become active players in God's redemptive story. It's not necessarily easy. It's probably a little messy. God gives us what we need, namely himself. If we can have fellowship with God, we can have fellowship with each other. Not sure if you realize that's what we signed up for, but that's what the church is supposed to look like. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, your love for us is absolutely amazing. God, may it be the cornerstone of who we are. May that love for us be so real and so tangible that we cannot help but overflow and give that to others. God, would you give us the openness and willingness of heart to say, yes, I want to love deeply. I want to serve. I want to grow in my relationships. I want to be a contributor to those people around me. I want to love deeply. God, give us the courage, give us the humility, and give us the love we need to overflow to our neighbor. Thank you, God. We pray in your son's name. Amen.